Let's say, just for the sake of argument, that you have decided that it's time to start taking care of your brain. I know, it's a little far-fetched, but, but just humor me for a minute. Let's say you have decided that a maintenance plan for your brain is just as important, well, perhaps even more important, than a regular maintenance plan for your car. Well, great. So, how do you figure out what kind of brain protection program is for you? How do you figure out which brain health programs work and which ones are mostly marketing malarkey? Good questions. I'm your host, Michael C. Patterson, and this is the Mind Ramp Podcast. We're going to look at all kinds of different things that relate to qualongevity, a word we made up that signifies living a long life, but also living it with quality of life. So longevity plus quality of life. Well, in this podcast, we're going to try and give you some of the answers that we have come up with over the years of studying this very issue. Our experience over two decades of observing brain health programs and working to develop them ourselves is that effective brain health programs have to have the following structural components. First, effective programs will address your motivation to take action. They have to help you to find the motivation to take action and sustain your effort to protect and strengthen your brain. Without your initial motivation, nothing will happen. Second, effective programs must, of course, be based on current, valid, solid scientific evidence. Three, effective programs will have a rational system that is easy for you to understand and to follow. At the same time, these systems have to be flexible enough to allow you to design a customized action plan that addresses your specific needs and is compatible with with what's going on in your life. And finally, effective brain health programs must offer you the support you will need to stick with your plan long enough to internalize the the habits and the lifestyle changes that promote brain health. The scientific evidence clearly demonstrates that the most effective brain health interventions take a risk management approach. They target behaviors and lifestyle choices that put you at risk for cognitive decline and dementia and try to get rid of them. At the same time, they target protective behaviors and lifestyle choices and promote those. So gradually, you learn to replace risky behaviors with behaviors that instead promote the strength and resilience of your brain. Further, the evidence clearly reinforces what we already know intuitively, that it is easier and more effective to prevent damage than it is to repair it. It is much more effective to prevent age-related neurodegenerative diseases like dementia than it is to try to cure them once they have done their damage to the brain. So effective brain health programs will, one, take a risk management approach, two, will focus on behavior and lifestyle choices, and three, will stress prevention over cure. My colleague Roger Enionson and I have also developed four 
recommendations that we call the four C's. Michael, I want to first have you take us through each of the four C's. Yeah, and we should also explain where the, why we came up with this. We were organizing the information about what we th- were finding from the evidence of programs that work and programs that don't work. And we came up with this sort of clever four C's idea because the, the reasons and the, the, uh, the reasons that things work and don't work fall into these nice categories. One is a combinatorial approach. Two has to do with causes. Three is it needs to be customized. And then the fourth is continual. So the four C's we have are causes, combinatorial, customized, and continual. Michael, let's start with causes, the first C. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we want to make sure that we make a statement. We want to address the root causes and not just the symptoms. So let's start with an example. Um, well, for example, if you, you have a headache and uh, you got pain in your head, so what are you going to do about the pain in your head? That's the, that's the oh, symptom. Oh, my aching head. Uh, give, yeah. give me an aspirin. Yeah, you take an aspirin or something because you're, you're focusing on the symptom. But if you realize that, that well, actually your, your head hurts all the time because you keep banging it against the wall. So you say, oh, well... That's the real cause of the pain. Stop banging your head against the wall. If you focus on the cause, not the symptom, then you actually have a better idea of how to treat it. So you take action to change the root cause rather than just mask the symptom. Yeah, you got to address the cause. Uh, It's like putting a Band-Aid on something. If you keep cutting yourself, putting a Band-Aid on it is going to protect it, you know, and help it to heal, but it's not going to get at, you got to figure out why do you keep cutting yourself in the first place and stop that. Or if you have a cut and it gets just a little infection and you don't put an antibiotic on it, you keep covering it with a Band-Aid. The root cause of why it turns red and is still sore is that you aren't treating it right. Yeah. So that's, you know, incredibly important when we're talking about brain health is if you just go after the symptoms, you're not going to not going to really get at the root causes and and get rid of what's actually causing the problem. Okay, now let's get to what people are really concerned about. So let's give an example of something, can you come up with something that people would be concerned about? Memory loss. Yeah, that's a good one. People are always concerned about that as they're getting older. So what would be a symptom of memory loss, for example. Um, I, th- I think the one we've heard year after year is, I can't find my keys. Right. Where did I put my keys? <laughs> right. so let, let's, let's try that one. Okay, so the, the symptom is you can't find your keys. Um, so what, what's, what's oh, a treatment? What would you do? Yeah, what do you come yeah, up with, Roger? Let's, let's brainstorm. I'm going to say I'm going to make about 100 copies of the same key and just distribute them everywhere. So wherever I look, I'm going to find one. How's that? Oh, very clever. I like that. Yeah. Or maybe I'll invent some sort of a GPS tracker within the house so that it can find it. So I keep something in my pocket <laughs> to find the key that's somewhere else in the house. How's that? 
Hey, this is a good creativity exercise. I like this. Yeah, but the point is, those are not going to get rid of memory loss because you're, you're, you're coming up with very clever solutions, but you're coming up uh, with solutions for the symptoms. The, uh, the cause, what's the cause of memory loss? And usually with like in the case of can't, not being able to find your keys, it's the fact that you haven't paid attention to what you're doing when you put the keys down. You haven't encoded that memory by paying attention in the first place. So the actual treatment might be to really pay attention, say, oh, okay, I am putting my keys down right here in this little bowl that I have put next to the, to the doorway. So I'm always going to do that. That gets at the root cause of the memory, at least if it's a if it's an encoding problem. Yeah, and this key example is a real good one to start with because when somebody just can't find their keys and they're running late already, they start blaming it on, oh my gosh, I've got Alzheimer's. I've got the, a symptom mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's. And that can be a self-defeating uh, issue because the person will then actually think it's, it's a symptom of a disease when it's actually a symptom of your habits. Yeah, and that's one of the important things to do when you start to worry about are you having cognitive decline is to work with somebody to go through all of the possibilities besides dementia and besides, you know, sort of Alzheimer's that could be causing, in this case, the memory loss. And when we're now, just now, looking at all these new potential causes of the symptoms. It flashed through my mind about 2003 when I was an activity director. We were in our clinical trials and her name was Ruth and I, uh, I don't remember her friend's name. It wasn't a relative but it was a friend who visited often and Ruth was destined to be moved out, was within a few weeks of moving to a memory care because she'd been diagnosed by her doctor uh, confirmed with other people that she had cognitive failure to a point where she needed to be moved. And her friend came in and asked whether or not it might be a UTI. Hmm. And I remember at first she asked me and I said, I don't know, but why don't you talk to the nurse? So our in-house nurse ordered a UTI test. It turned out that that alone was enough with a, with a person who was fragile in her um, her situation with cognitive failure and the one of the symptoms of UTI is loss of temporary loss of cognitive function until you treat the UTI. Now what if that person had been moved because of the misdiagnosis? The difference is striking and that's the first time I ever realized that maybe something could have caused the symptom that could have been prevented and I still think about how close that person was to being uh, changed for life. UTI is uterine tract infection, have I got that right? Or urinary tract U infection. Urinary tract, thank you. Quite, very common and it's one that's very treatable but the symptom in symptoms of UTI include temporary loss of cognitive function but wow, yeah, if, that's, that's if it's not treated it, it can look like permanent loss of cognitive function. Yeah, there are so many things like that. Now that you're reminding me, it's like the medications you're taking can cause cognitive decline. So you actually have to read the bottles. The combination 
of meds. As we get older uh, and have multiple, you know, things that we're trying to deal with, we're often taking multiple medications and those can have interactions with each other that can cause decline. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of, so it's important to make sure that you, you don't just assume because you're, you have cognitive decline that you have dementia and you, uh, the road to Alzheimer's is right there before you. Take a step back, go through the process of really trying to figure out what's causing this because a lot of them are treatable and you can get rid of them. The second seed that Roger and I discussed is combinatorial. The idea that you have to use multiple interventions to address complex conditions that have multiple causes. The diseases and disorders that afflict long lives arise from the accumulation of myriad different insults and injuries. So to escape from struggling and instability that we often experience with age, we have to address multiple, the multiple causes of decline in a holistic manner. Just dementia is a very complex condition. It's not like you, you get the dementia bug. You know, and you, you, I went to Paris and I came back and I, I'd caught dementia. I got bitten by a mosquito and I caught dementia. It doesn't work that way. Um, wish that it could because then you could identify the mosquito and, you know, get rid of the mosquitoes. But there are multiple, multiple causes of dementia and frailty and, and aging, in fact. So our second C, combinatorial, states that multiple causes require multiple interventions. Michael, you're getting into almost an algebra <laughs> but it's important to understand that when you have multiple causes, you have to work on which causes can you control and how do you control them. And you control them with the interventions, which are also multiple. But that gives us so many choices and so many ways. If one thing doesn't work on those multiple causes, there are other ways that you can attack that one step at a time, go up the ramp for, uh, toward all longevity. And the way we do this at, at MindRamp is by integrating the cogwheels of brain health. There are eight different areas that hit different behavioral, uh, behavioral areas. And the point is we have to do each one of those. Yeah, I like the, um, the metaphor of a sinking ship uh, to, to illustrate this combinatorial approach because say if you've got a ship out in the ocean and uh, you realize that uh, it's not sailing the way it should be sailing somehow it's suffering sailing decline you know equivalent to cognitive and you go down into the hull you see oh it's filling up with water you realize there are multiple holes in the hull and it's filling up with water and it's going to sink if you don't do something you can't get the ship back to where it needs to be by just filling one of those holes. 
you know, like the amyloid plaque hole. Uh, you've got to fill all of the holes. You've got to stop the, the water coming in from all of those different places. Um, and, and you can't fix them all at once. There's no way to fix them all at once. So you, you assess which one is the one that's going to sink you quickest and maybe put effort there while you're trying to get a plan to fix the rest of the holes. Yeah, fix the big one first, and then you, then you can go to the little ones that are sort of leaking. Um, so first you have to fix the holes stop the water from coming into the hull in the first place. Then you can start bailing water out of the hull. Just to go back to, you know, the symptoms and causes again, water collecting in the hull of this sinking ship, that's a symptom. So if you just treat the symptom of bailing the water out, it's not going to get you anywhere because you haven't fixed the holes. You have to really say what's really causing all this water coming in and fix those holes. Then when that's when you plug the holes, then you can start bailing the water out and then you're really getting somewhere. Then you're getting back to where the ship is going to be able to, to sail well. So let's pick it up, Roger. The third C that we've got is customized. And... Um, the idea here is you've got multiple causes that are going to require multiple interventions, but you have to customize those interventions to address the unique characteristics of each brain and each person because everybody's brain is different. And if you think of the life course, the flow of differences, the older that you get the more experiences you have the more wiring that's unique to you the more differences there are between people who are older you take a young brain that's that really is being exposed and you match that up with another young brain and the similarities are striking but once you as they say once you've seen an 80 year old brain you've seen one 80 year old brain mm -hmm. because they are so unique because they've been built with a lifetime of experience yeah, this is the plasticity again. The, the brain is constantly changing in response to what we experience, what we feel, what we do, what we think, all of this stuff. Um, the longer you live, the more experiences, feelings, actions, and so on you've had, more thoughts you've ingested. So you get incredibly diverse. You often use James Bond as the ultimate <laughs> right. secret agent who always insisted on a custom suit. Well, that tailorized, a tailored, customized model for the application of something as important as your brain's health is really the wave of the future. I'm thinking about Dale Bredesen's work. Uh, Dale Bredesen is from the, the Buck Institute in up in Northern California and UCLA. He's been researching Alzheimer's for, for decades now, and he's come up with a protocol. He's the first guy that I'm aware of who claims that he, in some cases, can actually reverse dementia, not just prevent dementia, but reverse dementia. But he does it with a, um, a combinatorial approach, highly combinatorial, but also highly customized to each individual patient. He builds it on this foundation of essentially our cogwheels. I mean, he doesn't call them the cogwheels, but it's these behavioral and lifestyle changes. And he goes a step further and is looking at 
metabolic metrics. He's got something like 36 different metrics that he looks at and needs to optimize those in every single patient that he's working on. And each patient obviously has a different profile. So it gets down to very customized treatments. Yeah. When we first saw his work come through maybe a decade ago, he had small trials and was criticized often for announcing the results of a very small trial, but it's high intensity. And he boldly said, this is something that may just work to customize it, to tailor it. And yeah, it is something that moves slowly with his, I believe it's 36 different elements that go into his protocol. But we watch for success. And we're, as you said, Michael, so many times, we're led by the evidence. And so we're going to be monitoring Bredesen and his work because there's a lot of potential to take his findings and then apply them to some of the things that we're doing with that customizing. That last point about Bredesen continuing to monitor the levels is takes us neatly to our fourth C, which is continual. Uh, this is the idea that these customized combinatorial approaches that address causes, not symptoms, need to be conducted on a continual basis. They are mostly behavioral lifestyle changes. Uh, in Bredesen's case, he's monitoring uh, metabolic levels. These are things that you don't just get a quick fix, do, do the magic pill, and it's all fixed for the rest of your life. They're things that you have to actually keep doing. Like physical exercise is an, one of the, the essential cogwheels. You have to integrate more physical exercise into your life. You can't just uh, sort of run around the track vigorously for one week and then say, okay, I've done it for the rest of my life. Uh, you've got to do it, do it throughout life. Yeah. And when you have that optimal level, you feel like this is good. Your life will change in the next day, week, month, something will happen, including aging. And that's where that consistent adjustment continual also means it, it's implied that you have to adjust as you age and as things happen. And that's why, as you said, you're not set for life once you find that optimal, but continuing to use that knowledge that you have to adjust. Uh, and it goes for all of our cogwheels, because if, if you're lacking sleep, you've got chronic sleep deprivation, you can't just sleep for 24 hours on your birthday and then say, okay, now I'm good for the rest of the year. You've got to be able to adjust as needed with the behavior changes that you're in control of and you have to work at it. It ain't easy, but it's something that is worthwhile because you've got an entire lifetime ahead if you continue, if you have a continual mindset. To summarize, a good brain health program is going to be motivational, it's going to be evidence-based, it's going to be structured so that it has an easy-to-use system, it's going to be flexible and responsive to your unique needs, and there's going to be a, there's going to be a coaching component that is supportive for you. 
Effective brain health programs will take a risk management approach. They'll focus on behavior and lifestyle choices, and they'll stress prevention over cure. We also then have the four C's. Effective brain health programs will focus on causes, not symptoms. They will be combinatorial in the sense that there are multiple interventions to address the multiple things that are going wrong with your brain. They will be customizable. Going back to what we said earlier, it needs to be flexible enough so that it is customized to your unique situation, your unique brain. And finally, it has to be continual. You have to be able to sustain the, the behavior changes and the lifestyle changes that you adopt in this risk management approach. Now, it's probably not going to surprise you that we feel that the mind ramp approach follows all of these recommendations. We've been following the science and, and continuing to refine our approach for over two decades now. If you want to learn more about our approach and, and judge for yourself, go to our website at www.mindramp.org, M-I-N-D-R-A-M-P-O-R-G. Or once you're there on the website, uh, there's a place where you can sign up for a free consultation if you want to talk to us about our program, about uh, whatever you're dealing with. We can discuss what's going on. We can come up with a plan for you. So thanks for listening and giving us your ears and your minds for oh, 20 minutes or so. We hope it's been beneficial, and we hope you join us again for our next podcast. <laughs>